Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. He didn't bump you, he didn't nudge you, he rubbed you. And rubbing son is racing. Hey race fans, welcome to the Hoobazoo Radio Network and welcome to another episode of Drafting the Circuits Radio. My name is Frank Santoroski, I'll be your host for the next hour or more as we discuss everything from a great weekend of racing um, across the globe. Uh, before we get into that, I uh, want to introduce you to the panel tonight. Uh, with me, as always, Mr. Gray Warren Good e- from Richard Childress Racing. Gray, how are you? Good evening, everyone. I'm doing fine. Hope everyone else is. Oh, what a, what a weekend we have to talk about, Gray. I'm going to tell you, it's something oh, yeah. else. So. Good, good weekend of racing. Sure was. And uh, secondly, um, Richard Uden with us again. Richard, how are you? Richard also I'm from Richard, Richard Childress Motorsports. I'm very good, thank you. Hope everybody else is doing well. Great, great to have you on. And uh, from Motorsports Tribune, the NASCAR correspondent, Seth Eggert. Seth, how are you? I'm doing good, you? Doing great, doing great. Um, 
trying to get Joey Barnes in on the call here. All right, Mr. Joey Barnes uh, writes for IndyCar.com, also the managing editor at Motorsports Tribune, uh, the, the the final member of our panel tonight. Joey, how are you? Busy, <laughs> really, busy. Really yeah, busy. I appreciate you taking time out to come on with us, man. It's always uh, always a pleasure to hear your insights. So uh, we've got a big re- weekend of racing to talk about. I want to lead off with uh, Formula One. Formula One was in Baku, which is the capital of Azerbaijan, which, if you're unfamiliar with it, is a country in the former Soviet Union, located um, right between Turkey and Iran. It kind of straddles the Eastern Europe and the Middle East. Uh, beautiful uh, municipality there in Baku. A tight road circuit uh, that goes around the castle. Uh, last year we saw a race that was rather processional. Um, this year we had quite the opposite. We had a quite an interesting race. Um, and Seth Eggert, who's with us tonight, Seth, who claims publicly to know absolutely nothing about Formula One, <laughs> pulled the pick Daniel Ricardo out of his ass, and and uh, Seth, uh, brilliant on your part. Uh, but um, you know, you know, great day for Daniel Ricardo um, to take, I believe, his fifth career win. But the bigger story is um, between uh, Hamilton and Vettel. And this story is still generating press and stories, and there's more to come with this. But uh, if you didn't get a chance to see it, um, we were under a safety car. Um, Vettel was closely behind Hamilton. Uh, Vettel taps the back of Hamilton's car. He felt like Hamilton brake-checked him. Uh, later data showed that uh, Hamilton did not leave, let off the accelerator or brake-check him, so I'm not sure. But uh, Sebastian De- Vettel then channeled his inner NASCAR driver to uh, pull alongside him and give him a little bump just to let him know about his displeasure. Um, this resulted in a penalty for Vettel. Um, pretty much threw away the uh, points lead of the season right there. Uh, Hamilton had problems of his own uh, a little later um, under red flag condition where they didn't get his uh, harness properly secured and he had to make an additional pit stop, uh, which led the way for a podium consisting of Daniel Ricciardo, uh, Valtteri Bottas, and the young Lance Stroll, who's much maligned in the media, um, a pretty solid day for the young man. Was running in second until uh, Valtteri nipped him at the line there. But um, so, who who wants to jump in and comment on the the interesting series of events? Shall I? Uh, I'll jump in here. Shall I? And uh, give me my, give you my uh, give you my thoughts on that one. Um, you know, it's it's almost as if this race was twelve months late. Uh, this is what we, everybody had expected twelve months ago when uh, the series first went to uh, to Baku, and uh, you know the, the twisty tight sections up around the castle and the, the long fast straights. Uh, you know, coming to the start finish line, everybody expected to have this sort of imp- uh, action packed race, and uh, uh, you know, last year was pretty processional. And from reading some of the things and listening to some of the comments by some of the engineers and some of the teams there. They almost went the wrong way with the setup last year. They went too conservative with some of the setups um, in terms of uh, top line. Oh, sorry. They went too aggressive with uh, some of the top line speed. So there was a big differential between um, the cars last year in terms of their capabilities uh, down that long main straight. Uh, whereas this year, I think the teams went for a little bit more downforce, which probably bunched the pack up a little bit more and uh, allowed for some of the close racing that we saw saw this last weekend um i mean where do you start i mean the first corner you see valtteri bottas uh come together with kimi raikkonen 
Uh, you think he's days done. He drives a complete lap with a flat tire. You know, comes back out. He's a lap down. You know, you think that's it. He he's done, and he just sits there and uh, and tries not to get in everybody's way. Basically, it's very very difficult, especially in Formula One, when you have a fast car around cars that are slower than you, but you've got to let them pass because you're, uh, you know, you're a lap down and. The rules state that if you get shown the blue flag, which shows that the faster cars, or the car on the lead lap has to pass, you have to let them through. So it's very, very difficult when you're a fast car and a lap down in that scenario because you've got to drive slowly. Um, but he, you know, Valtteri stuck around and waited for something to happen, and <laughs> it happened. Um, you know, people were caught out by uh, by some of the, the tightness of some of the circuit of the, of the circuit. Um, couple of cars retired again. Max Verstappen for, I think it's the fourth time in six races he's retired now. Uh, you know, again, he would have been in a very strong position to, to get the win on the podium come the end of the race, given everybody else's uh, um, reluctance to win the race. And, uh, you know, I, I think that was one of the scenarios that brought the safety car out and bunched everybody up. And then, of course, you had the, uh, you know, the red mist, as everybody called it, with um, Sebastian Vettel getting involved with Lewis Hamilton, which uh, it was, my uh, goodness me. I mean, at first I, I did, I, I did, I gave uh, Vassell the benefit of the doubt as he pulled alongside Hamilton. He, he pulled his hands off the wheel to gesticulate to them in, and uh, however you want to look at it. Um, and I, I thought that in taking his hands off the wheel, the car pulled to the right, but you know, these cars are so well balanced and so well configured, you know, it's not like a road car where if you take your hands off the wheel, it, it pulls one way or the other. I mean, these cars don't do that. So was it deliberate to drive into him? I'd like to think it wasn't. But at the end of the day, he put himself in a very, very dangerous position and a very, very difficult position. And uh, if you did that in your road car and you crashed into somebody and said, well, I just took my hands off the wheel and it hit you, it's still your fault. Absolutely, yeah. And I don't know if you, I think the funniest thing is, you know, Vettel deflecting all the blame from this. You know, he's, he doesn't want to yeah. take responsibility at all. I don't know if you had a chance to listen to the, uh, the in-car radio. It was brilliant. Uh, when they told him the you know, you need to come in, you got a 10 second penalty for uh dangerous driving he goes dangerous driving. When did I do dangerous driving? Tell me, tell me, yeah. when did I do dangerous driving? I'm like, uh, did you not see that? You know? <laughs> so. Yeah, no, I think it's. And I, I think as, as the dust settles, I think people are starting to realize how, you know, it was maybe one of those things that was slightly overlooked at the time, but I think the severity of it is starting to, to build. Um, and the FIA have announced that they'll be having a hearing on Monday uh, next week to, to review the situation um, and possibly could face some further penalties at uh, Austria on the 9th of July. So, uh, Monday is, of course, well, also Sebastian Vettel's birthday, so that could be a nice birthday present for him. I imagine the minimum he will see is a grid penalty of some sort. Um, looking back to, I'm going to say it was 2013, uh, when Schumacher drove into Bruno Senna in um, uh, Spain. You know, that was considered a, an avoidable accident and he sort of, he had a, a five place grid penalty I think it was at Monaco the following week and he got pole he actually qualified on pole at Monaco uh, and had to start fifth and uh, uh, you know so this wasn't avoidable contact this was deliberate contact 
So yeah, but it was but it was under safety car. You know, it's it's like. In my mind, I know you and Seth were talking before the show. You felt like the 10-second penalty wasn't severe enough. And I thought it was plenty. I mean, it was it was under very low speed. A little little tap to let you, you know, look at- let you know I'm unhappy. Um, and this is the kind of thing that that you guys see in NASCAR all the time. You know, the uh, little of bump under yellow or the bump on the pit lane bump after the race, and uh, yeah, and it's all well and good. So, I, in my mind, anyway. Um, it's making a mountain out of a molehill, and I think I think I, I, Lewis I, is behind it a little bit. He wants to exploit sure. that uh, just for the mental game Lewis likes to play. Oh yeah, I don't think there's any any doubt that Lewis is obviously milking this for everything it's worth. But I think what you have to look at, uh, and you know, a prime example is you look at what happened between um, Pascal Wehrlein <laughs> and Jensen Button in in Monaco when uh, they. Made contact coming into the uh, into the tunnel area. You know that was very low speed as well. That was probably similar sort of 50, 60 miles an hour sort of corner speeds. Very similar speeds to what you know Hamilton and Vettel were doing at the, at the time of this impact. Um, you know if those those cars, if those two wheel, if you interlock wheels in those cars, no matter how slow or fast you're going, you will flip a car. And I think it's setting a a, a dangerous precedent and. To a certain extent, you're right. NASCAR, it's accepted. You know, this is what happens in NASCAR. This is how they race, and this is part of the sport. And I don't want to be disrespectful to the NASCAR drivers, but I think in general, the spectators and the the general public who who watch motorsport and follow Formula 1 probably hold Formula 1 drivers in a slightly higher standard than NASCAR drivers. And again, that's not trying to be disrespectful. It's just... You know, the, you know, the Formula One drivers—they're not supposed to do stuff like this. Uh, it doesn't do anything for the sport. Nobody's turned. I mean, Jack Villeneuve's turned around and said how great it is that Vettel shown passion. Well, Jack Villeneuve also just wants to hear his name in the in the in the uh, in the press because he hasn't done anything for a while. Yeah, you know, it's um, funny. Whenever whenever I see comments from Jacques Villeneuve and uh, Bernie Ecclestone. Who are, who are both uh, kind of the loudest bashers this day and age? I think of the two hecklers from the Muppet Show. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's like <laughs> what with the Waldorf and the other guy, you know, Villeneuve and Ecclestone up there. Ah, gosh, can't even put on a race. I don't know. Yeah. I think I think Villeneuve's just a little bitter because um, the window of uh, success in his career was a really brief compared to some of his contemporaries. But uh, sure, yeah, yeah. But uh, but I digress. <laughs> Joey, Joey, you want to jump in on the Formula One talk here? Yeah, I mean, I think that this this race, in a weird way, could be the defining set for the entire season. I mean, Red Bull, even with the updates, didn't have a car capable of competing head-to-head with with uh, Mercedes or Ferrari at Azerbaijan. I mean, that circuit's just not built for them. Um, so, Ricardo inherits the win, essentially, by staying out of trouble. But I thought it's funny, because in a year that's so pivotal for him to continue to be the face of Red Bull Racing... Uh, he really needed to deliver because all eyes are on Max Verstappen, and, and I understand that there's an extension of contracts, but those are only worth you know the race by race basis. If there's buyouts, and you know Mercedes and Ferrari will pay the fee needed to get Max Verstappen in 2018 if necessary. So, you know, I, I look at everything, and the fact that Ricardo's the one that bagged the win. This could be his only win this year. It's important to make sure that he keeps his winning streak season to season going um 
you know, I don't even recall if he actually won last year. I think he did one race. But, he won one last um, year, yeah. Yeah, he won yeah. Uh, Spain when it was his um, – actually, no, that was uh, – no, that was, that was that, Max. Yeah, wasn't it uh, Russia? Or was that Max? No. Was no, it that Max? was Mercedes. Mercedes hasn't lost there. Anyway, but case in point is that, you know, Red Bull Racing needed to kind of make sure that they saved face here by not having a winless season, and they did with Ricardo, who was in question of not being the face of that team uh, moving forward. And I think that, you know, looking at all the aspects of everything, we'll start with the, with the Vettel-Hamilton thing. Number one, I thought it was absolute crap that, um, you know, Vettel's given the penalty and Hamilton's not. I don't care if telemetry shows that he didn't break. He clearly slowed enough, and the safety car is miles ahead of him at that point, um, that that wasn't necessary to slow the pace down that much. I mean, you look behind Vettel, and it's an accordion effect. I, Vettel is not hitting the gas. He's coasting through the corner, and it's just a matter of the fact that Hamilton decelerated faster. Um, maybe he's got a Tesla. I don't know. You let off the gas, and they just drop on speed. But you know, I, I look at everything, and I think that that's unfair. And I, you know, I'm sorry, but the competitor in me is going to get up alongside and do just like Vettel did. Um, you know, call it call it dirty, call it cheap, but I also say what Hamilton did was dirty as well. Um, they should both have received a penalty. What are they going to do? Give Vettel a 200 200 place grid penalty to ensure that he starts last in Austria? Then you just fueled it even more, and this is going to be fun to watch him tear through the field. Um, whenever they get there. So, you know, if anything, this probably motivated Vettel because if, as long as the FIA continues to try to stack the deck against him, the harder he seems to push. And that's one of the attributes about Vettel that I don't think can be overlooked here is because Hamilton's been the poster boy for a while. Um, Vettel has been by the wayside. You know, even on his own team, he got thrown by the wayside at Red Bull, and now he's at Ferrari building the program up. So it's pivotal for that championship push and i think finally we have an, uh, have a little bit of an identity to this championship that's not just always respect and handshakes and hugs and oh we've always wanted this to come down to us we've waited for this and now we finally got that edginess to this to this rivalry that we've been waiting for um botus he did drive spectacularly he also drove spectacularly into the side of Raikkonen at the beginning of that race <laughs> for like the third time uh this season um, Raikkonen's a victim of somebody else's mess. So uh, I feel for him because this is probably his last year at Ferrari. I don't expect him to settle for number two driver. Um, Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
you know, I mean, he's he's got money. He's got the championship. Um, we've seen him leave F1 before and go rally racing and go NASCAR racing. And with Alonzo flirting with IndyCar and some other F1 guys flirting with IndyCar, who knows? Maybe that's on the horizon. So, um, but overall, good for Lance Stroll. Um, Ocon dished it back to Perez. I was happy about that, to be honest with you. I, I thought Perez kind of did it a little cheap. And, you know, it sucks for Force India, but... Let's be honest, uh, Perez is probably going to Renault uh, after Jolly and Palmer's out after the summer break, and there's a lot of rumors and speculation that Perez is going to be in that seat alongside Hulkenberg to form Force India 2.0. And, um, Force, Force One, they want to call it now, right? Yeah, whatever. Well, it is, it, you, know. Know. you know, but, um, I mean, they keep having some issues legally with VJ Malia, so who knows how long they could be around. I mean, they could run themselves into a really bad situation where a team ends up, somebody ends up buying them. But, um, you know, overall, also something that everybody, uh, I don't know if it had been mentioned previously, but Kevin Magnuson pulling a P7 out um, is a hell of a run for Haas F1 and in that kind of environment. Usually if there's crashes abound, Kevin Magnuson and Romain Grosjean seem to find them. And, you know, kudos to them for, for dodging all the chaos that went on on Sunday. So, um, you know, overall, you know, it was exciting. Uh, hated it for Massa. Uh, hated it for a few other people as well. But, um, you know, I think that if the FIA wants to do anything to Vettel, um, I think that'd just be an absolute disgrace on them, just given the fact of what they haven't done to Hamilton, regardless. Right, I agree. Yeah, And, and again, you know, we've got this, you know, Liberty Media has brought a little bit of this um you know boys have added attitude to the thing so i mean if that's what they want you know they're getting it now you know why why throw the penalties at him it's over it's done with um you know move on to the next race that's just my thing yeah i mean if if they take it back i mean they're just nascar right exactly yeah gray you have any any thoughts on azerbaijan before we uh start to move on to sonoma no i kind of look at it through the nascar prism as well i mean i think uh, Richard makes some valid points. I think not only do they look at things differently for Formula One drivers, I think open wheel racing to some extent because of its very nature is perceived a little bit different in, in the way the drivers should conduct themselves. Uh, but obviously you don't want to bang wheels and stuff like that, you know, uh, uh, like you do in a, in, in, a, in a fendered stock car. So, yeah, I do believe that that the, the two disciplines are looked at somewhat differently. But, again, like I said, I look at it from the NAS, through the NASCAR prism, and and I I see that competitive side coming out in Vettel and, and expressing his displeasure and, and making a point. You know, whether it was right or wrong, um, that that's the way I perceive it. I, I will revert to one thing that you you said earlier, Frank, and that's the safety car. Like, oh, he was he was under speed. He was a safety car. For all intents and purposes, that's even more reason to penalize him because it was more controlled, because it was more intentional, uh, yeah. because you because you couldn't actually dictate the fact that oh, we were just going for the same real estate. And, oops, I, I hit a bump. You know. Yeah. So. Well, yeah, like, so, yeah. I, I'm not saying that think- the that. He shouldn't have been penalized. I'm thinking the 10-second penalty was good and you know, serve his purpose. Uh, this whole uh, further investigation. Let me, was, let, me, you know, let me inject something here. Go right Richard ahead. And I were t- Richard and I were talking about the race today, and, and speaking of the safety car, Richard brought up an interesting fact, too. You know, with some of the some of the stuff that we've seen recently with the virtual safety car and, and all this kind of stuff, 
that it may be time, and I'll let Richard elaborate on it more, but it may be time for Formula One to adopt a restart zone for, you know, for, for restarting these races. And, and Richard can, can, can talk more about that. Yeah, I think we've seen um, last couple, I think it was last year in the GP2 race at Azerbaijan where the, there's a safety card come out and uh, the leader backed the pack up, as you saw, you know, numerous times in the, in the main race on Sunday. And he actually accelerated too early and they caught the safety car before the safety car entered the pit lane. And, you know, you're starting to see, and, and I know on the first safety car at the weekend, Hamilton was told that he did get, um, you know, pretty close to, uh, to catching the safety car again. You know, I think, you know, it would remove all of these shenanigans, for want of a better word, that the drivers, you know, try to, to take on each other by trying to, you know, jump the safety car. And, you know, it, you, you can potentially see some dangerous situations there. So... I think for to have a, a safety car zone, um, I think or a restart zone, sorry, would would probably be the better way to do it. It takes the guessing out of it, and also, you know, quite often you very rarely see leaders get passed on a restart. Um, you know, it's mainly back in the pack where it all gets bunched up. Whereas if you know the the second place car knows within you know, uh, a, a few hundred feet when his opponent's going to accelerate, it'll at least give them a, a bit of something to fight for and, uh, and maybe open up the possibility of a pass. And uh, Ricciardo won Malaysia last year. Yes, Malaysia. I looked it up while we were talking there. Yeah, Malaysia last year was Ricciardo, yeah. So. All right, Seth, you get the final word from uh, Baku. Uh... I don't know how I picked the winner, but I did. I don't know how you picked the winner, but uh, good for you. But uh, in all seriousness, uh, like Gray and Richard said, looking through the NASCAR lens, I don't see banging wheels, at least in open-wheel racing, I don't see that as a safe thing to do whatsoever. Um, Otherwise, I don't really have many thoughts on Baku. I was able to watch it on a stream on or through the NBC app on my way back from uh, Orange County Speedway. Uh, otherwise, uh, I've only caught about half the race, but like, a, like Gray and I were talking before the show, 10-second penalty, I think it was a little too lenient. Maybe it should have been 15 seconds. But then again, like you said, I don't know as much about Formula One and their rule system compared to you guys, so I'm just a casual observer here. All right, well, so um, and again, I'll, I'll, I think the 10 seconds was fine, but I'll, I'll agree with Joey Hamilton uh, deserves some sort of a penalty as well. Um, you know, it's for him to say he's got absolutely no culpability. Um, it's you know the, it, that happened somehow, you know. Vettel did fall asleep at the wheel and just bang it to the back of uh, Hamilton. Uh, so, but anyway, we'll move on. Um, so, Formula One has next weekend off. Uh, they'll return to action July 9th at the Red Bull Ring in Austria. Um, so, uh, we'll, we'll uh, preview that next week going around the show. Uh, so, this past weekend, uh, NASCAR was out west in wine country at Sonoma. Um, we saw 
Kevin Harvick notched his first win of the year. Um, and we saw a couple of uh, other interesting runs back there in the field. Uh, we were talking about, uh, was it uh, Clint Boyer ran the whole race without the power steering? Uh, so who wants to take it away? Seth Gray? I'll, uh, I'll defer to Seth. Let him uh, recap it for us. All right, Seth, it's all you, my man. Well, we had Kyle Larson starting on the pole. Uh, he got out to a lead. I want to say he led about five, ten laps until uh, there was a caution when Dale Jr. spun locked up the brakes, trying to avoid Danica, who threw a block. Spun through turn 11, back in front of Danica, and caught Larson as well. Send Larson spinning. Uh, that pretty much knocked Danka out for the rest of the day. She ended up running instead of in the top five, top ten, around 15, 20 the rest of the day. And that, uh, that was one of her uh, best qualifying efforts in recent years, right? She started sixth, I believe? Yes, she did. Uh, you, you also had Chase Elliott starting eighth after destroying his uh, primary car with about two minutes left in final practice. Uh, and he ended up coming back to finish eighth as well. But uh, going back to the race itself, uh, there were a lot of ups and downs and a lot of strategy because of the stage. Uh, there were several teams that pitted on lap 10 uh, during the first caution. Then there were some that pitted with two, three laps ago before the end of the stage before pit road closed. Uh, the winner of stage one was Martin Truex Jr., his 11th stage win of the year. Uh, second stage, pretty much the same scenario happened. There was two cautions, another wreck, which this one also involved Danica, also involved Jr., uh, but it took out Ricky Stenhouse Jr. Uh, he had nowhere to go and ended up slamming into Danica's right rear tire. Uh, she had spun off the nose of Dale Jr. And it destroyed Stenhouse's front end. He ended his day. Uh, you had some of the ringers up front in Stage 2. You had Billy Johnson and Alon Day running Top 15 until they got caught up in their own incidents. Uh, the winner of Stage 2 ended up being uh, Jimmy Johnson, his first stage win of the year. Who Did you think it would be this long until he won a stage? No, but I didn't think he would take well, Kevin won, Harvey won this won long to win stages. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> doesn't the race win count as the win for the third stage? Or the, yeah. I don't know. Uh, not in this case. But, so, uh, so Jimmy's worried about the real wins and not the stage ones? <laughs> Just you know, throw, that, throwing that out there. Playoff points, so. Yeah, true, true. And Truex Jr. right now has 49 playoff points. I want to say uh, Kyle Larson has 42 or 43, something like that. And then the next person, I want to say it's Keselowski with 28. If that tells you how much the stage wins are will mean for the playoffs. Yeah, so where, where's Jimmy? Fourth in points? Uh, About eighth, see. isn't he? Seventh, eighth? He is seventh in points. With two two wins on a season, or is it three wins on a season? Three. Huh. Three. Interesting. You know, and, and like like uh, Seth alluded to, it was it, with this, the, this is the first road course race that we've seen uh with stage racing, and of course, everybody has a different strategy 
when they go to the road course race, and they essentially, like we've all talked about it before, they'll run the race backwards. And and some drivers tried to position themselves in the stage, and I think that's one thing that led to to Kevin Harvick's rather healthy win uh, out there was that and if I was listening to his scanner traffic, that is they played the big picture. They ran their strategy to win the race and position themselves to be at the front at the end, and, and, and it worked. It came their way. The cautions fell their way, and it was not a late caution like so many guys bank on. And if you follow the trends, there's usually a late race caution, you know, within the la- with, sometime within the last 10 laps of that race. It didn't happen, and, and uh, the four-team strategy played out looking at the big picture. Which I do also want to mention uh, in the post-race uh, press conference, uh, Tony Stewart made a comment uh, about late race cautions and debris cautions, and he said he was glad NASCAR didn't throw one this week. But he also mentioned that he found it very funny and very coincidental that right after all of the Gibbs cars pitted in the final stage, as soon as they got out on track, they were screaming debris. <laughs> they were screaming about debris in turn eleven. They were screaming about debris in turn four, turn seven. Well, that's uh, just that's gamesmanship. There, they all exactly. do that. Yeah, exactly. But that. T- Tony just decided to call that specific team out, I guess. But uh, yeah, Kevin Harvick was not in the top ten in either stage. Only three drivers were actually in the top ten for both uh, for uh, stage one and two. Denny Hamlin, who finished fourth. Uh, Ryan Blaney, who finished ninth, Joey Logano, who finished twelfth, and actually make that four drivers. Austin Dillon, who finished eighteenth. Yeah, he finished. He had he finished uh, in the top ten in the first in the first two segments. Yes, yes, he did. But yeah, that that was kind of like I said, it it was kind of a strange race to some degree because we always look at these road course races to be run differently than an oval track race. They've always that's been the that's been the thing and, and been the novelty of the road race, road racing, uh, at, particularly at Sonoma and Watkins Glen, that they run these races like that. And the stages threw a, another wrinkle into it. I thought it made it somewhat interesting. I think it really would have been interesting had that last caution that normally comes out, had that come out within the last 10 laps, that would we would have seen that. But then again, Harvick played his cards right. That team played the strategy and had that last caution come out. Uh, they were where they needed to be. They would have been up front, uh, you know, racing for the win, uh, irregardless. But the way it happened, he ended up with uh, with a pretty healthy margin of victory. And speaking of last caution, did anybody else see Casey Kane's wreck? Yeah, boy, oh, yeah. That, that was brutal. I mean, those were uh, the jersey barriers, a temporary wall. Right, that separates and, the uh, the front, what we call the front straightaway leading into turn one from the drag strip. And, yeah, and, he, he hit that thing and moved those those two barriers that he hit. He moved them a, a probably uh, seven or eight feet. Now, I understand that, you know, it's a multi-purpose facility. They can't have a permanent wall there because of the drag strip. But... Do you think there could have been a temporary safer barrier there? Yeah, I that, know they're working on some here in Charlotte for the road course yeah. for when they go and run the Roval next year. But Obviously, don't these safer barriers have to be pinned up against a permanent wall? 
it uh, was still- not not anymore. I know they're making okay. some that can be maneuvered. Okay, they could they could probably sink some post and temporary holes where they sink a post behind it to to stabilize it. Probably do something in that manner. But these are just Jersey berries that line the first race, and they've been out there for as long as I've been going to Sonoma. Because and and I tell you that honestly, that's the first time I've seen a crash in all the years I've been going to some. That's the first time I've seen a crash in that area. But what I was going to say is I know at Daytona for the entrance and exit of the road course after Kyle Busch had his wreck a few years ago, uh, they actually have a temporary safer barrier that they put at the entrance and the exit uh, to prevent team drivers from going all the way into that concrete wall or even the safer barrier that's further back. Because... Obviously, it's not there when they run the 24 hours of Daytona or any of the other uh, races on the the Roval there, but it is when they run the Oval. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's probably there's probably something that could be done. But I know it's been, I know it's, you know, people have uh, questioned that this week, and it's probably going to be something <laughs> they'll look at before we return to Sonoma. And, and again, I, yeah, to your I, point, Gray, I, it was an anomaly. I've not seen a wreck there either. But you know, yeah. that, that doesn't mean it won't happen again. So I'm well, sure I think I, I think it, the, the wreck was precipitated by Casey and another car, and I watched the film several times today, and I could not discern who the lap, who the lapped car was that he was racing. And when I listened to the spotter traffic on the wreck, they they kind of slammed slammed each other racing back to the flag, and that's what. Uh, Kind of knocked Casey into the into the wall. I'll tell you what was scary about this though is like, and and there's a couple of things I personally think we could do without having to worry about the safer barrier. Number one, my biggest concern was I don't know if anybody caught this for with the, some of the photos that floated around, but uh, the A post on the right side of that car was completely severed. Um, so to me, that was a little bit of a concern. I know it's a rarity, but you know, either way, if an A post can get severed, that's kind of a little bit of a concern. Uh, well, the, that's just the body shell A post. The, the 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 bar behind the A post did not did not sever, and it held up okay. its job. Yeah, what cool you deal. saw there, I, I saw the same thing you're talking about. That's just the uh, the sheet metal A post, you know that that really serves as the windshield bed. On the right side, that yeah, that did break, and and, but, and from the from the force of it. But there's a up underneath it is is part of the uh, roll cage that runs down behind that a post, and that was structurally sound. But what I would like to see is why can't we just because there's a drag strip right there, back the wall, walls up about four feet, and then put a temporary tire barrier all the way down there. You, yeah, you could do that. Yeah, you could put hay bales. You know, as yeah. long as there's nothing to hit, you know. Yeah, yeah. We I mean, water barrels, you know, stacks of tires, you know, there's all kinds of things. Because basically they, they, they start it, where he hit is where they start their arc, you know, into turn one going up the hill. You know, so really, you know, I don't know what what it's there for, obviously, than just to um, just a, just some kind of barrier. Because really, it, doesn't, it could be runoff area, if yeah. you will, you know. Yeah. And and Gray, I believe the the other guy involved in the wreck was uh, Kevin O'Connell. Yeah, so, okay. Uh, he's, he's, right. done, he's done a couple Xfinity races, all on road course. Right. He's road course ringer. Um, I think it was his first uh, first start in the Cup Series, and I, Kane said the guy panicked and didn't know where to go. <laughs> so 
Um, yeah, and like I said, I, I did not. I, I tried to see who it was, and you know, from looking at the film, and I couldn't uh, couldn't make out the car number. Yeah, guy making it. Kevin O'Connell, number fifteen Chevrolet for Premium Motorsports. And the other news that came out of Sonoma, uh, Kyle Busch had two loose lug nuts, which means his temporary crew chief, uh, Ben Bayshore, who is He's subbing for <laughs> yep. his normal crew chief. Now they have to go to the suspended. backup backup crew chief. Yeah. <laughs> yes, they are going to a third crew chief. His for third Daytona. And, yes. And then he'll re- he'll re- his regular crew chief will return after Daytona. And yes. be back for Kentucky. Yeah. Hey, I just out of curiosity here, because I'm starting to get a feel about the way this season is. I'm starting to feel like Pillow Hands McGee's not getting a fair shake this season. Because, you know, I, I see and maybe it's from that incident with Joey Logano, hence the nickname Pillow Hands McGee. Um you know, how many times has he been leading and a caught late caution comes out? Or, or how many times <laughs> do they break down his car to where, oh, yep, loose lugs. Like, I understand that things happen all around, but there is a specific spotlight that has been cast on him. And he's he has brought it on himself, but he's pissed somebody off. That's, that's starting to feel that way. Yeah, he can't catch a break. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, and, and like I said, too, to compound those situations where that late caution has come out, they've made some st- strategic gaffes, you know, that have compounded those late cautions by by deciding not to pit when other cars did and things like that that have, that have cost them several wins, too. So, yeah, it, it's just not – I mean, like I said, it's, it's, it's a snowball effect for those guys. But I'm going to tell you, they are a strong team, as, as strong as anyone in the garage area, and uh, they by no means are to be counted out. They'll uh, they'll probably uh, they'll 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 pick up a win, and you know they can be streaky when they do. When they first get the, get that first one under their belt, they can go they can win four out of five or 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 three out of four in a heartbeat. Yeah, and you've got a couple of tracks coming up that real really favor Kyle Busch too. You know, I, Kentucky for one is is a couple of weeks away, and that he's, well, won, he's he's won there a couple of times. And he's, defend, two-time defending champion of the Brickyard Four Hundred. Yep, so, yeah, the no, Brickyard's and, and coming he, up. Yep, and so, he's uh, and he's dominated the Brickyard the last two years. I mean, almost been untouchable. So yeah, yeah, I'm but sure nobody's we, nobody's won three Brickyards in a row. So I mean, streaks. You know, that's that's true. That's true. But I'm just saying, yeah, I'm records sure they, are made to be broken. Well, they feel good about going back there. They, I'm sure they've got that circled on their calendar to, to, to go back. So, Absolutely. So, anyway, I, I don't think, you know, and we were looking, we talked about this for several weeks. Uh, I think Harvick was the 11th different winner in this season. That's and correct. And we've still got, we've still got some heavy hitters that are that are yet to win that you would expect to win. Sure. So, I, I think we talked. You know, Kansas, Hamlin. If, if Bush, we have, you know, oh, all those we guys. have seven. If we have seventeen, and then you could like you could have uh, the 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 I'm not going to call it a fluke, but you could have the unexpected win at Watkins Glen, and then Daytona this weekend, a restrictor plate track. You could have uh, have an unexpected win, and everybody's just waiting for um, um, Chase Elliott to pick up his first yep, win of the year, at the and bit, I believe yeah. uh, of, of his career. Yeah, and then we've got the Joe Gibbs contingent that. Uh, that still, you know, Denny Hamlin is winless. Kyle Busch is winless. Uh, uh, Matt Kenseth is winless. And, and uh, as of right now, Kenseth would be the first driver out 
yep. of the the playoffs because Austin Dillon and Stenhouse Jr. are both outside the top sixteen. Yeah, and Ryan Newman is just hanging on to the top sixteen. So, so yeah, I mean, it, it we could see some. It could be tumultuous there if if we get in. Of course, Clint Boyer is another one that I think will probably get a win uh, uh, before this season's season's out. And Jamie McMurray, the way his teammates running and that whole uh, organization has stepped it up this year. Uh, Jamie McMurray could easily get a win, and that win could come this Saturday night. Watch Danica do it just to throw a wrench in everybody's plans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Since yeah, Danica's retirement's all over the internet. Yeah, so let's uh, watch her win Daytona. So speaking of Daytona um, and and Danica winning, but let's uh, let's make some real picks. Uh, So we're at Daytona for the uh, what old guys like Gray and I like to call the Firecracker Four Hundred, but it's uh, what's what's it called? The Coke Zero Four Hundred this day and age. I think that's what they. I think that's what uh, it is now. They're calling the Xfinity race the Coca Cola Firecracker 250. I'm glad they brought the Firecracker back because there was always a Firecracker 400 back in the day. So I always Firecracker 400 start at 10 o'clock in the on the the morning of July 4th. They they wanted it to get over with. Want to be over with before it got too hot. Well, then, in the usual afternoon rain that comes in. That's uh, true, yeah. So, this time, that time of year, too, yeah. yeah but we've been in night I race did, for several years now. So, yeah, it's uh, been for, for a number of years. Yeah, it's been for a good long way. And, and I tell you what, I participated in a couple of those uh, July 4th, 10 a.m. races, and it was uh, it was sweltering down there. And oh, if I remember correctly, the first night race for the July race was actually delayed to November because of the wildfires that year. Could have been. I don't That's, remember that, exact that sounds details. Familiar. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, so they were using oh, Daytona. They were using Daytona National Speedway as a staging area for all the firefighters and the Forest Service because uh, the Volusia County and the surrounding area was was really hit hard with, with wildfires. All right. So who wants to pick first? Seth. I'll go. I'll go uh, first. All right, Gray, you go first. I've already said I've already give uh, give my pick. I'm going to say Jamie McMurray picks up a win uh, for his side of uh, of the uh, of the uh, Chip Ganassi team. It's a good call. It's a good call, Joey. You going with Danica or uh... <laughs> no? No, and I'm not going to go for Dale Junior's last ride. Um, I'm sure somebody will take him out by accident. Um, <laughs> I mean that's just the way his season's been. Um, you know, Larson, I feel, had something in, at Daytona, but I actually liked what Blaney was doing late, and I like yeah. the fact he's already got the win. So I'm going to I'm gonna go with RB right there in the 21 Wood Brothers to get it done. That's All a good right. pick because i tell you what, if he'd had a quarter fuel, he'd have won that race. Yeah. Easily, yeah. Uh, Richard? Oh. Denny Hamlin. Oh, you stole my pick. Oh, now I got to pick Junior. <laughs> Seth, who you got? Well, Gray took my pick. So I'm going to go with the driver who is highest in points without win, Kyle Busch. Okay, and I will Man, go. Man, so, so hold on. You think the Bush brothers are going to sweep Daytona in the same year? That'd be neat. <laughs> Stranger things have happened. That'd be neat to see. I mean, yeah. when's, the, when's the last time we had a driver sweep both races? The Pepsi 400 is what I call it. So, uh, uh, Jimmy Johnson 2013. It's really been that recent? Well, I thought it would have yes. been long. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yes, the facts are I, there. I'll tell, tell you something else, too. You know, we can the, the, the Fords uh, – 
should be pretty strong uh, going in. If you look back at Daytona and look look at Talladega, and and really, you know, the Roush cars have have really uh, their speedway program has really made a resurgence. So don't be surprised to see uh, uh, Trevor Bain and and Ricky Stenhouse uh, be be very competitive down there. Absolutely. So, so I haven't made my official pick yet, but uh, I'll tell you what. I'll go with a guy who's uh, pretty good on restricted plate races. You know, more so at Talladega than uh, Daytona, but he's got a Ford Keselowski. I'm going to go with him. Um, big surprise. Big surprise. Yeah. Well, see, Keselowski's going to win at Kentucky, so he's going to go back to back. So, uh, and, and and I know this for a fact that he'll win at Kentucky because uh, I'm going to take my wife to the race, um, and every single NASCAR race I've ever brought my wife to. It's been won by a car with the number two with Miller sponsorship. And this started in 2004 with Rusty Wallace, and then it continued through the last NASCAR race wow. I took her to in 2014 in Kentucky. So, uh, you know, why should that streak end? Disclaimer, well, disclaimer, this will be her third NASCAR race I take her to. So, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you what, though. There's something to be said for, for what Stuart Haas has done for Ford as a whole in raising that entire program. because And they needed to put all their resources there, just the same way the Chevy's put a lot more of their resources in CGR. That's part of the reason Larson's been able to do what he's done. Yeah. Um, there's something to be said for, for what Ford's have been able to put together this year. And I wouldn't be surprised in the slightest if there's about five to seven that could qualify for the chase, uh, or the playoffs, whatever the hell they're calling it now. Yeah. You may find, uh, some, one of the, um, technical aspects I think that made the Ford so dominant in Talladega earlier in the year may, uh, may not be present on the cars this weekend. So they may not have the advantage that they had, uh, uh, back in uh, back at Talladega, where they were incredibly dominant. But but there again, though, it, 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 I agree with 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 your point about uh, bringing Stuart Haas into the fold because there is strength in numbers, and I think that has that's helped help the overall Ford program definitely. You know, and just just I know we're about to shift gears here, but if there is Haas, Gene Haas commented a little bit about contract situations and how Harvick and Boyer are good to go for for beyond this year. Uh, Kurt Busch is kind of an unknown, and Danica is an unknown, and I don't see any situation where they bring Cole Custer up. I just don't see that he's ready yet for Cup. I, I feel I like he's another year or two off. I, I would love to see them. I would love personally if they could have the resources and the money. No, Seth, not Eric Almirola. He's an RPM <laughs> guy. Life. You see those teeth? Come on now. I, I think that the guy that's never gotten the fair shake but has all the talent in the world, and this was back from his Hendrick days, but fell victim to the economics. Landon Castle. That kid yeah. can outdrive just about anybody if it was a head-to-head run, and I, I would love to see him get even a one-season nod, kind of like a Valtteri Bottas situation. You know, a one-year prove-it deal. You know, what's the worst thing that can happen? They they do that same thing to Kurt Busch on a one-year flyer, and Cole Custer and Landon Castle's uh, your 2019 drivers. There was actually a funny thing that happened with Landon Castle this weekend uh, because – Truex Jr. blew his engine and finished 37th. He only got one point. Landon tweeted out, I gained five points on Truex. And then a fan pointed out because Truex won a stage, he actually lost four points to him. (laughs) (laughs) 
Wow. Yeah, see, I don't like the points. I'll, I'll be honest. I don't really enjoy the whole points, playoff stage points. I don't understand it. It's hard to follow. And I'm somebody that covers this stuff. I mean, yeah, I'm with you. I just so you're overcomplicating a situation. That's part of the reason why some of the fans it just isn't resonating. They just know, oh yeah, that's who won. They don't know how the hell somebody got the championship or who yeah, I qualified. Think, I think the whole deal. I, th- I think the stage racing is good, but give them instead of making it a playoff point, just give them a bonus point in the current point standings. That's a whole lot easier to understand. For uh, that's a whole lot easier to understand for the average fan than well you got to accumulate and these points are going to be applied X when we start the chase. That's kind of convoluted. I, I agree with you on that. I, it's it's you know if you gave them a bonus point like you gave used to, in the old point structure where they would give the uh, the race winner uh, an extra five point bonus you know uh, over and above uh, what the what the payout was for first place. And then uh, you got bonus points for leading the most laps and things like that. That just added to the accumulative total. I think to me, that's easier to understand. Yep. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah they've, they've really, like you said, Joe, overcomplicated. So, uh, but let's, let's move on to talk about IndyCar. Um, we were at the uh, America uh, for the weekend. Yeah. One of the, one of the grandest places on earth to watch a race. Uh, we saw a proper racetrack. Uh, at a proper race, uh, we didn't have any anybody get caught out in a yellow to jumble the order, um, and we saw it was Scott Dixon who, who bested the Penske cars, who looked to be um, set to just crush the field. Um, you know, qualifying one, two, three, four, um, and at the end of the day, they finished two, three, four, five. Uh, Scott Dixon taking his forty-first career win, pulling with him. Uh, within one win of tying uh, Mike Landretti on the all-time list. So uh, now, Joey, you were at the track this weekend, so uh, we'll just lead off with you and uh, your observations. Yeah, I, you know, it was kind of a weird weekend because it looked like it was going to be Penske's show all the way through. I mean, Friday, Saturday, uh, through practices and qualifying, all four of the drivers were sweeping everything, every practice, qualifying, and it just it looked like their show we got to morning warm-up on Sunday, and I was in Elio's pit box, actually. I was kind of waiting to, to get a quote to do a story, and I looked down at the, the black sidewall tires, the primary tires, and um, I noticed on the shoulder there was a little bit of, of tread wear on the, just on the shoulders, a little bit extra than normal, like almost like threading. Um, and Tim Sindrick told me it wasn't too too much of a concern. A lot of that was similar to last year, but... Uh, you know, you get to the race, and Elio was out front, and, it, you know, they were running reds, and just like the Indy GP when he was on blacks, uh, we saw we saw him get passed by a teammate, and this was Joseph Newgarden and catching him out. And um, slowly but surely, that caution came out on 29 or 30 or something, rather, uh, like that, and it kind of jumbled up a little bit of the strategy. Those that were on the four-stop strategy didn't quite play in their hands. Uh, a lot of drivers were electing to save fuel and go for a three-stop strategy because even though IndyCar extended it from 50 to 55 laps at Road America, it's a four-mile road course. There's there's opportunities to save fuel if you don't hit push to pass so much. And we saw a lot of that in the play. Um, but, you know, we also saw guys go with that went with the four-stop strategy just tear it up through the field um joseph looked to be kind of in control of a lot of things and then i believe it was 
right there at that restart um, shortly thereafter, around lap 30, that we don't, we don't need a restart zone coordinate thing in IndyCar quite like F1 right now. Uh, Scott Dixon was right on his tail and actually made the pass on the outside going into turn one. Uh, it was a beautiful pass. It was a power move. Great time to restart. Um, you know, Joseph, after the race, was talking a lot about that restart, and it really stuck out to him. And that's going to be one that he even said it stings um, because that was one of those moments that, you know, if he could hold Scott back, which it's tough to do because at the time they were on two different tire combinations and Dixon was on the preferred. But, um, you know, all in all, it was really neat to see Dixon get his first one of the season. It's hard to believe that even as the points leader, even after wrecking out at Indianapolis, a place that has double points, that he held the points lead. That's been kind of how wacky of a year it's been. And, um, you know, I find it fascinating because he's always the guy that, that we see isn't in control of the, the point standings and comes on strong late. And right now he's in total control and it's going to be Will Powell or Simon Pagino or Elio or Joseph or, or somebody else that's going to have to come on late if they want to take the fight to, to Dixon. And it's also fascinating that this is with a Honda package that they didn't have last year. They were in Chevys. They switched over the off season and through thick and thin Dixon's probably been, Pound for pound, the most consistent driver out there, well, barring the crash. He's at Indy. finished uh, finishing the top ten in every race except for Indy. I mean, yeah. Yeah. So, even when he well, crashed out of Texas, he still finished in the top ten thanks to attrition. But yeah, the, uh, the Dixon's but you, been but you think on, if he hadn't been taken out at Texas and been able to run that race to the to the to the finish, you know, he he would be he he was in contention. He was run, what running third. Am I second, correct? Yeah, yeah. 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 he, he might have won that. Yeah. He could have won it or whatever. So, yeah, he could be even even further out front. The the cool thing that I'm starting to see about this season, and there's a there's a number of things from this race that I want to touch on, but first and foremost, this has to this is at the forefront of my mind, is at Texas we saw seven laps of Will Power and Scott Dixon side by side. Arguably, you know, unequivocally, really, the greatest drivers of IndyCar racing the last 10 years, 15 years. And... We've never really seen them go head-to-head. There was some stat that, that DeHarty had actually given me the other day. Something They've only finished one, two, nine, or nine times or something like that, um, which is astonishing considering how many races they've run. And, you know, you, you really start to think about it. This season shaping up to where Dixon could be in control and Will Power, who's led over 600 laps, who's given finish after finish away, through no fault of his own in some of those circumstances, uh, could already have four wins this year and be second or first in the championship. It looks like it's going to have to be Will Power to be the guy that closes down on Dixon to, to make this a championship run. And, you know, I think that we really saw who the real players are as we approach Iowa, Toronto, and Mid-Ohio. And, you know, I like a couple of those guys out of the Penske camp. Um, I like Dixon, obviously. And then maybe... Um, I, the only question mark I have is, are we going to see this go, who's going to represent Andretti? You know, is it going to be Rossi? Is it going to be Sato? Because I really think that their championship push is going to come from one of those two drivers. And I think it's just a matter of who that's going to be. And I think we're going to find out next weekend at Iowa. Yeah, and, um, and from my point of view, I think Rossi has 
driven as solid as anybody this year. He doesn't really have the results to show it. Um, he's you know got caught up in some other people's nonsense here and some nonsense of his own here and there. But uh, you know Rossi has been spot on um, all year long. You know when things have gone his way. So I think uh, you know if he's going to see any of the Andretti cars kind of creep into the. Uh, to the title battle, um, it'll be it'll be Rossi. Um, of course, Sato's right there too. Yeah, I find it fascinating. Also, um, you know, for all the criticism that he took from winning the Indy Lights Championship last year, for all the criticism that that overcame itself whenever he didn't win Rookie of the Year for his podium finish at Indy with no nose cone element, mind you, so a damaged race car. Um, Ed Jones, he gets damage on his car. You know, they're. Tony Kanon and Rossi are going through the carousel. Um, they were both on push to pass. Um, Kanon trying to make the pass through a very narrow area, and um, you know gets his nose nose end plate taken off in the element of the wing, and just ends up into the wall in the Armco. Actually, really, really hard hit. Glad he was okay. Um, but a lot of that debris that was littered on the track, uh, you know, damaged part of the, the left front wing also damaged the rear wing there was a gap a good six inch gap in the rear wing for the last 10 laps that ed jones was running they didn't change the wing they left it as is he went out there and and did what he needed to do and he's like you know it it's essentially this is paraphrasing but he's like you know it sucked in the corners but it was a rocket ship on the uh, on the straight straightaways and uh ended up coming home seventh i mean you don't have part of your rear wing you got a damaged front wing and somehow you managed to to do away with some of the better drivers or not better drivers, better equipment drivers, um, you know, ones that were less damaged and incomplete race cars. Yeah. Yeah. Complete race. Thank you. Uh, that's the word I was looking for actually. And, um, (laughs) you know, it's fascinating to me that amid everything, he just continues to keep his head on his shoulders, continue to attack Dale coin racing, regardless of how many, uh, race cars they've gone through with the, the catastrophes that have happened this year. Um, you know, I, they continue to run what they what they're running, and I have a hard time saying that this is Dale Coyne Racing, the backmarker. Like this is no longer that they are where Schmidt Peterson was with Simon Pagano uh, a few years back. This is that level, and Ed Jones is taking them there. I mean, now with Seb kind of out until maybe the end of the year or maybe next year, um, this is this is Ed Jones' team, and he's certainly not. You know, wowed by the moment, he's putting the entire team on his shoulders, and uh, it looks like he's found a home. He looks very happy, and I wouldn't be surprised in the sense if they can get a win before the end of the year. Um, but all things considered, that was really, really incredible uh, out of him. It really was. I mean, he's been incredible all season. You know, uh, just some of the adversities he's had to go through. You know, plus, uh, you know, losing the uh, experienced teammate as the mentor. You know, and and he still continues to deliver. You know, mind you, they got Coin has built a solid, solid team in the engineering department with you know between Craig Hampson and um, Olivier uh, Boisson. Uh, so he's certainly got uh, you know good help there. But you know, you know, hats off to Ed Jones. You know, I mean, solid, solid rookie effort. Uh, you know, I just look for great things to come out of this kid over the next several years. Yeah, I mean, he's he's tenth in the championship right now too. Um, yeah. You know. He's got what that was his fifth top ten run of the year. I mean, it's it, he could have a couple more. I mean, Dale Coin Racing could have a couple wins if OTA and and him aren't a victim of circumstances at Texas. Um, one thing that I do want to make sure I note is 
all the racing that we've seen this year, and I don't know if I've seen a bigger dogfight in the championship than the last two races. Um, you know, everything at the front was kind of business as usual. If you were in the top five, there were very clean passes. Is getting getting by everybody and just timing everything. She had a little bit more room to operate, but everything from sixth on back because they're trying to break into that top five. I don't know if I've seen more pushing and shoving on a road course in, in a long, long time. I mean, it was intense. Uh, we saw Hildebrand and, and Graham go go after each other pretty intensely. We saw Will Power under Stewart's review, uh, race control's review, sorry, America. Um, and it, it just, you know, he was under review uh, three or four times. Right, um, he, drew the, he drew one penalty. Yeah, he had to give the position back. The position I mean, back, which is, not, which is nice on a course like Road America, you know, where a drive-through penalty would be devastating. You know, Road America has the longest pit lane of uh, anyone. So just so, giving up the position, it's, you know, it's almost no harm, no foul. You know, just, just go yeah, ahead and I give mean, it back. A, so, but yeah, a 38 I mean, second, it's a 38-second delta uh, on pit yeah. road. So, I mean, it, it was a great race. Uh, honestly, this season has been impressive. The crowd was was pretty i mean obviously everybody i wasn't there last year that's my first year to go to road road atlanta road america but i'm about to say road atlanta and you know the the crowd itself i was impressed by the sunday crowd and for all the events that they were able to put together um they also extended a deal to go beyond this year so they're going to be coming back to road america um for a couple more years from what i understand it and um you know so it was a lot of fun um Another thing that that was touched on um, that was pretty interesting is that there's something going around the rumor mill about Andretti and Chevrolet, Andretti Autosport and Chevrolet. Um, I heard that one too, yeah. And you know, I'm interested to see how much truth there is to this, and I could I could see some truth to this because uh, of how much Honda has given to to Joe Gibbs, uh, Joe Gibbs to to Chip Ganassi Racing. Uh, see, y'all talking about NASCAR, and it messes with me, but um, <laughs> you know. I I would love to see a third manufacturer just come in and, and bump up to where we've got three big teams. I think that needs to happen. I would rather see Chevrolet. I, I back what Robin Miller and Marshall Pruitt talked about on Racer. I would rather see them back teams like Ricardo Yunkos, like Harding Racing, um, you know, Trevor Carlin coming up to the grid, who obviously knows mm-hmm. how to get it done from his from his junior formula over in Europe all the way to the Indy Lights team that he's successfully done. Um, because Mateus Lice is a hell of a talent, as he showed us uh, this past weekend in Indy Lights. And, you know, I want to see that happen because we need more more drivers and more seats. We need to bring more personality and inject more things into the sport. And I think that's a better way to do it. I, I don't want to keep seeing one-team trade, you know, between Honda and Chevy. I mean, you know, if this is the Chevy Andretti thing from a few years back, and it was a better situation, Marco got Marco has like four wins and maybe finishes third in the championship because that's the kind of season he was having, and that's part of the reason because of fuel mileage and other things that you saw them switch to Honda, and it's the preferred aero kit for for Indianapolis, but we're going into an unknown that's 2018 with the universal aero kit and everything that this new sexy sleek car is supposed to bring, and. It's going to be Honda Chevy. If there's a third manufacturer that comes into play late, I would be stunned. But I would love yeah, to I see somebody. Yeah, I think it's a little late for anybody to come in eight, 18. You know, 19 is not out of the question. Yeah, I would. I think 19 is realistic. Yeah, yeah. So, 
But yeah, I mean, Andretti moving to Chevy. I mean, right now Chevy's only got um, what eight cars on the grid. You know, they got the four Penskes and two Carbonates, two Ford cars. Uh, Honda's got the other thirteen. Uh, but you know, you talk about Harding Racing moving up uh, to full time next year. That's a Chevrolet team. Um, Yukos, Yukos is a Chevrolet team, also, I believe. Yep. If I'm taken, so I, I, I think if those two teams up, that that kind of evens it out without entity jumpship. But uh, you know, the, these rumors have come up, and, and nobody's talking. You know, Art Sincere from Honda's got nothing to say. Michael Andretti has nothing to say. Chevrolet's got nothing to say. Um, but uh, I mean, I think that, that is, doesn't I mean think that it ain't happening. That behind silence the is awfully loud, isn't it? Exactly. Well, exactly. I also think that we can't overlook the fact that. It's been known that Andretti wants to have a sports car team, and I think that the same way that Pinsky was, quote-unquote, out of the country on business for the first time that I can remember on race weekend, um, I think that we could also see, and I, I personally think maybe he was in France kind of talking to some chassis manufacturers and trying to get some things together involved because Le Mans just ended. Um, I wouldn't be surprised in the slightest if there was something along those lines here and maybe it is with Chevy, and maybe there is something to it, but it's more of a sports car situation, putting things in place, because the way teams make their money now are diversifying. And right now, you know, Ganassi and Penske, they're across a lot of different uh, Andretti itself, you know, you're looking at Formula E, you're looking at Global Rally Cross, IndyCar. They continue to expand the same way Ganassi does, because that's what it takes to be successful at the highest level, is to be able to diversify but grow the appropriate way. I, the thing that scares me is, is if they are looking at expanding the to an IMSA or, or a WEC program, is didn't we just run into a situation where they expanded and then it hurt them the following year and they ran like crap? And I look at somebody like Ryan Hunter Ray, who, like last year, is having one of his worst, if not his worst, season at Andretti Autosport in the you know ten years or so that he's been there, nine or ten years that he's been there. Um, Currently mired 12th to 13th in the standings. You know, it, it, it's a bummer for him, and a lot of that's just because of the technical situations. It's it's funny to me that outside of Charlie Kimball, we don't have a lot of engine failures or mechanical issues on the on the Chip Ganassi Racing side. But we've got on Charlie Kimball at Chip Ganassi Racing. As much as I rail on Charlie, that's a fact. And I look at Andretti, and they would have had potentially a one-two at Long Beach with Hunter Ray and, and Rossi. Um, you know, they've had a couple of issues. I look at Phoenix, I look at Indy, they had three engine failures or two failures, three accidents, um, you know, with Alonzo and Hunter Ray. So at some point enough is enough. And Honda, I think has got to help Andretti a little bit more, or they are going to move somewhere period. Um, on the Andretti, on the IndyCar side, whether that's with Chevrolet, a new team, Michael isn't going to stand for this consistency on, on having so many issues, um, on a day-to-day basis. Right, right. So, anyway, we, we are kind of up against the clock here. We're, uh, we're, we're in our overtime green-white checker. So, uh, I'm just going to go around the table, get everybody's final thoughts. Uh, so, uh, first off, uh, IndyCar is off next weekend, and we are headed to Iowa Speedway on January, on July 9th, uh, if I'm not mistaken, uh, yeah. Sunday afternoon race, uh, where Joseph Newgarden dominated last year with the Carpenter team, and, uh, Early indication, um, Carpenter team was testing there uh, either yesterday or today, and they set some pretty quick times. So, uh, you know, they've got their data from Joseph's run last year. So we may need to, you know, just keep an eye on Mr. Hildebrand or, or even Mr. Carpenter there in Iowa um, 
in a couple weeks here, but we'll, uh, we'll talk more about that next week. So I'm going to go around the table. I'm going to start with you, Richard. Your final thought for the evening before we say goodnight. It's, uh, <clears throat> you know, it's been a you know an exciting Formula 1 season up to now, and I think uh, what we saw last weekend in, in Baku just sort of, uh, you know, highlighted that again, and uh, hopefully they can get all this uh, nonsense sorted out between Vettel and Hamilton, and... Uh, you know they can uh, it can stay out of the courts and uh, it can they can keep fighting out on the track and hopefully they'll be close enough between now and the end of the season to have a few more little tangles and hopefully proper racing clashes rather than uh, like a little schoolyard spat under a safety car. <laughs> schoolyard spat. <laughs> Gray, what's your what's your last thought for the weekend or for the week? I'm looking forward to a good race on Saturday night. I uh, hope we see a really good, uh, real good competitive show. Uh, so, uh, you know, it's always, you go back to one of the plate tracks, always exciting. So, uh, yeah, looking forward to, uh, to, a, to a good Saturday night. All right. Yeah, me too. Um, Seth, what you got, buddy? Uh, what, what, auto, what autograph diecast did you buy this week? Earlier in the week, uh, I... Uh, online went an interview I did with Cole Custer uh, and next week I will be interviewing Harrison Burton and Todd Gilliland. Alright man, good for you. I can't, uh, can't wait to read those man. So uh, keep up the good work there Seth. Uh, Mr. Barnes your final thought yeah. for the week? Yeah um, I guess first and foremost I didn't think, I'm still you know in awe of the fact that I, in the same year I've had a chance to, to go to and cover Long Beach, to cover the 500, to cover now Road America. Uh, gorgeous country up there. If anybody ever, whoever listens to this, gets a chance to go up there, do it. Uh, it's an amazing place. Uh, gorgeous country, lots to do, not just the racing. Uh, it's certainly an event. And, um, you know, on a sidebar with that, Anybody that's watching the Mazda Road to Indy, some great racing, some great kids. Um, you know, Pro Mazda, Victor Franzoni, and Anthony Martin tore it down this weekend. Some great racing, some aggressive racing, literally wheel to wheel, running each other off the racetrack, but in a sense that is more legal than what the FIA would deem. <laughs> more legal than the FIA. Interesting. So, uh, guys, my final thought, man, I, you know, just, I enjoy talking to you four guys every week. Um, really interesting weekend of racing. Uh, uh, this past weekend, you know, Road America, always a place I love. I wish I could have went there with you, Joey. Uh, yeah, I've, I've been to the track in the in the past, and it is absolutely amazing place. You know, I hope you had a chance to get you a uh, a Johnsonville Bratwurst and a tall Miller beer, uh, which are the staples of uh, Wisconsin there. Um, but uh, we are out of time. You are listening to the Hoobazoo Radio Network. Uh, this is Drafting the Circuits. We'll talk to you guys next week. Good night. W-H-O-O-B-A-Z-O-O-N-A-T-U-B-A-Z-O-O-N-A-T-U-B-A-Z-O-O-N-A-T-U-B-A-Z-O-O-N-A-T-U-B-A-Z-O-O-N-A-T